0: hello guys how's it going you're listening to the not the top 20 podcast the monday pod george and i have decided to hold the not the top 20 podcast agm in barcelona slash girona over the next few days i'm joined by mi amigo george ellick how are you
1: i feel like you're talking louder because we're in barcelona i don't know if it's your excitement i um i mentioned to my dad this week that we were going to barcelona for our agm and he took it quite seriously. he was like it's not an agm and i was like yeah i know it's just a it's just a joke that we say. About
0: well, I've I've printed off the financials for the last podcast business year. And We've got some plans for the future. I think we've got a lot to get into, to be honest. Not least, planning for our live show. Not the Top 20 live on the 19th of May, a Thursday at 7pm at the Leicester Square Theatre. Where, George Ellick, if you wanted to sit in the first five rows, well, you haven't got much chance. There's only, I think... 10 to 15 tickets left in the first five rows of the Leicester Square Theatre to watch our live show. We are so excited about it. The amount of tickets that we've shifted in the first week alone has us more motivated than ever to put together a serious show. So please head to the Leicester Square Theatre website to buy the tickets. The link will be in the description of this podcast. Now, this podcast is sponsored by Betfair. We thank them for their continued support of Not The Top 20 pod. Georgie Ron Quest last night. EFL on Quest, of course, with Dean Ashton talking League One, League Two in the second hour. Uh, how was that day? How was the day of EFL action in general?
1: Yeah, it was a good day. It was kind of a day of shocks, as we'll get on to fairly soon. It feels like we're at that time of the season where assumptions that the teams who've been best from August through to February are just going to keep winning can make you look like a bit of a mug. Um, <laughs> so yeah, a lot of upsets, but it means that I think definitely the league tables... In League 1 and League 2 look a little more interesting now than they did uh, before the Games, well, just a couple of weeks ago.
0: I think you can say the same about the Championship. And for a mixture of reasons, partly because we've spent all morning travelling, partly because we're busy uh, on our break over the next few days, uh, we're going to go a little lighter on specific match analysis from the weekend, although we will touch on the key results and the key performers. We're going to zoom out a little bit. As you mentioned, it feels like the composition of the league tables uh, in all three divisions has been significantly shifted over the last few weeks as you, as the sort of runners and riders jostle for position for the business end of the season. I've decided we're definitely in the business end of the season, but not quite yet the run in. And so we're going to zoom out and look at each portion of each league, uh the runners and riders as I say, and and see where we are basically because when you're so focused on match analysis every Monday, you can sometimes lose sight of the bigger picture. So that's what we're going to try and achieve on today's podcast Uh, let's start in the championship Uh, the portion of the table i'd like to look at first is actually the what would you call it? The, the playoff battle, that doesn't quite do it justice because there are a number of teams from really third downwards who will still be looking at Bournemouth in second and thinking they've got a chance to catch them. At Bournemouth on sixty one points with thirty one games played, they're the teams with they're the team with the games in hand. Huddersfield on fifty nine, having played thirty five. Blackburn fifty seven, having played thirty four. QPR one point back, fifty six. Having played the same, Luton Town are in the playoff places, 54 points. Uh, Sheffield United, 53. Middlesbrough, 52. Nottingham Forest and Coventry, 51. And Millwall, four wins in a row, Millwall, now 11th on 49. Preston, 46. West Brom, 40. Uh, sorry, Preston, 47. West Brom, 46. You can see, George, it's getting a little bit squeezed in there. And there were some significant results in this group of teams yesterday. Let's start with the early game. Blackburn, 1. QPR, nil. What did you make of proceedings at Ewood Park?
1: I think Baggies fans are very happy that you went all the way down to 13th then when doing the playoff picture. Um, yeah, Blackburn QPR was uh, a surprising game for me in that I thought going into it, um, Rovers looked very, very vulnerable because you know they hadn't scored in, what was it, five games coming into the match. Uh, it felt like they were somewhat cursed after... Redicadria missed the penalty against against Blades and they ended up losing that game. But I think even though the narrative around that midweek game was that Rovers had thrown it away, um, it kind of ignored the fact that for the first half at least, and basically until the till the red card, uh, Sheffield went to show so Sheffield United were by far the better team and deserved to be ahead. So Rovers weren't too impressive there. They haven't been very good recently. We've got Ben and Diaz, their, their talisman, uh, with a.
0: Fairly serious injury, and we don't know how long that's going to keep him out. So Rothwell was out here as well. Uh, Buckley was rested for this game. It was, uh, yeah, it was a, a Blackburn side that didn't quite look like the same Blackburn side that picked up all of those wins a few months ago. You could probably say the same for a QPR. Both of these teams, um, it's not so much that they have wobbled recently, but because of the positions that they are in of third and fourth before this game, it feels like they're the ones to be shot at. And so it was a game full of tension, but one you know, one better side, quite clearly, I would say.
1: Definitely. I, I thought Blackburn were, were very impressive, um, playing with a front three of kadra who has had a very good season in parts, but recently had been, you know, both the one who'd looked the most dangerous, but also the most wasteful, Tyrese Sterling, who's been out of the side recently. And then uh, Sam Gallagher, who's been, you know, he scored their last goal, uh, which came in that uh, win over, over Borough that I'm not necessarily sure was, wholly deserved on the night either Um, they just lacked players in form and and it didn't look like that at all here against QPR a QPR side who generally uh, even at their worst caused teams problems but Blackburn were the better side throughout, Kadra missed um, a very good opportunity in the first half but this was a classic case of the best player in the park seemingly getting pelters because he was the one getting into positions that he was creating himself, He, he was a massive thorn in QPR side and when he's as good as he is on the day, then there aren't many players who can get near him, and he, and he looks to be that player who can, um, even though very different stylistically, is, is the the player who can take that attacking burden on for Rovers. And they, you know, they dominated territory, they dominated chances. Um, QPR kind of it felt like they had moments in the game where they they looked threatening, but never for for sustained periods. Um, Seni Dieng going off injured at half time proved to be pretty significant because even though David Marshall made some saves on the day and has been a very good acquisition for QPR. Uh, He definitely should have done better with the the free kick from Kadra. It was audacious from Kadra to to go for it. He definitely meant it, uh, a free kick from kind of nearer the corner flag than a normal shooting position. Mm. Uh, But Marshall, who is entitled to assume it's going to be a cross, uh, he gets his body position all wrong and he kind of flaps the ball behind over his head when when really he should be doing better. Sorry to the goalkeepers union. Uh, and, And yeah, Blackburn are fully deserving of their
0: win. It was a game that felt like it might lack penetration in the final third. That's because the absence of Brerett and Diaz, um, Gallagher's form has been patchy, uh, which I think probably is a reflection of his uh, Blackburn career in general. A-, a good player, quite an important player, particularly for his physical attributes to this Blackburn Rovers side, but not someone who has seen himself uh, established as a sort of regular goal threat, a regular goal scorer. Dolan and Kadra, as you say, were super lively. And I guess from a QPR point of view, you would have hoped that Ilyas Chair and Chris Willett would have performed similarly because it was, for the second time in a row, a strikerless formation from Mark Warburton with Andre Gray on the bench for the second game in a row in midweek Gray and Austin were both unused substitutes. so it's it feels a little like Warburton's making a point whether that point is Andre Gray you're not applying yourself properly I would rather not have a striker than have you on the pitch. Um, either way, in getting past Blackpool, with 10 men, which was impressive, if not a particularly fluid, fluent performance that you might expect from a team in their position. And then today, they did lack that penetration, and I think Lyndon Dykes can't come back quick enough because it's clear to me now that Warburton sees him as their, their main man up front. Willick and Chair were, were pretty quiet. You have to say well done to, to Blackburn, out of possession. They were excellent. Van Hecker, man of the match, what a player. He's been um, a pure defender, but he's got a ping in him as well. And a really good day for a, a Roverside, whose fans needed that after, was it five games without scoring at all? Significant because it, it takes them above QPR, uh, one point above them in fourth place. They are behind Huddersfield, who are on 59 now in third position because they have rattled off three wins in the space of eight days. And George, last Monday, after they beat Fulham, and we were very excited with their performance, the game plan, the application of it, I said the true test for me when I think about Huddersfield as a playoff team is how they go against Cardiff and Birmingham games that you'd expect a playoff team to be taking control of and winning now whether you could say they took control of the game against Cardiff in midweek probably not but they did somehow find a way to turn it around and win with two late goals here against Birmingham it was much more comfortable they did the damage early with two first half goals uh, set piece situation uh, saw Levi Colwill back from injury back in the team back in the goals Uh, and Lewis O'Brien made it 2-0 before the break. Uh, Again, I I feel like I'm taking away from Huddersfield with some of the things that I say here. The comfort of this win, the the extent to which they controlled proceedings and won comfortably, should be massively celebrated and applauded. This Birmingham side, it's a great time to play against them. Uh, This is a Birmingham side that started with a back four of Graham and Bella at at full-backs, neither of them natural full-backs, and Pedersen and Connor as centre-backs, probably in reality their first choice right, back and left back added to that Colin had to come off after 25 minutes injured with the score at 0-0 and Gary Gardner moved to centre back so clearly this is not a blue side in great nick at the moment they got a little bump didn't they those three January additions in particular Lyle Taylor and Bakuna and Ona Hernandez gave them a little boost but realistically this is a very poor team in pretty bad shape and Huddersfield did what was necessary to establish themselves as that third place team Uh, and to extend their unbeaten run to, what is it, 15-16. New boys in the playoff places are Luton Town. George, they've rattled off a a hell of a run of wins recently, getting past Derby late in this game. Uh, What did you make of the Hatters beating the Rams?
1: I mean, they did what they needed to do. I I said on the betting show that I'm not... I haven't been wholly convinced by this run of Luton form. They are finding a way to win without exerting massive dominance over their opposition. But... The crucial part here was that they didn't really let Derby get near them. Uh, I thought Kazim Richards would come in with one of the youngsters. He played ahead of of Plamge on the day. Uh, but realistically, this was a case of, of whether or not it was probably going to be uh, a stalemate or or, or Luton are going to find a way to win. And through Danny Hilton, the most unlikely of, uh, of heroes in the second half of the season, who, having barely played at all in the first half of the season, um, came in from the cold, started
0: against uh, Stoke, scored a goal in that 2-1 win. And then this is a guy that I will be completely honest thought was a classic league 2 goal scorer a bit of a gun for hire in league 2 and I say that because he was a yellows fan favorite when you moved up to league 1 it wasn't long until Hilton was was shifted aside Luton picked no, him up No that's wrong Is that
1: wrong? Yeah he
0: was offered a contract stay and knocked him back in order to Fine. go to Luton So took the took the league 2 gig That's why I think it it created this narrative that perhaps he didn't care exactly what level he played at, but maybe he was just happy being the main man for a League Two team. Then took Luton up, well, twice in the end. But since they've been in the Championship, again, has always felt like the sort of spare man in terms of their attacking options. And yet, you cannot keep a good man down. Nathan Jones loves him, probably hasn't given him as many minutes, I'm sure, as Hilton would have liked. I think Hilton would... possibly might have left in January, but didn't. And here we are with him having been the key man in, in in two wins in the space of four days. Unbelievable.
1: Yeah, I mean, I've got it on fairly good authority and I'll let the listener guess um, which club I'm talking about. The Hilton was was pretty close to leaving in January um, to a League One club on loan, which which suggests that he wasn't in their plans. But then the game where he came back, you know, the game where he returned to the fold was actually, I think, either on deadline day or the day after, where he, out of nowhere he started um, in the game, he played I think 60 minutes or so uh, in the game against. Uh, yeah, it was on the first against Swansea, uh, which was his first start of the season, and put in a really good shift and played well. He's now scored two in his last two against Stoke and, and Derby. Um, he's a player who it surprises me. I mean, I know he's he's had injuries, but he is someone who has a very rare combination of being an absolute workhorse, whilst also doesn't get the credit he deserves for the footballer that he is. He's got very good feet. Um, he is never going to be wholly prolific but that's not because of a lack of talent it's because he's someone who runs the channels a lot and isn't always taking up those goal scoring positions Um, his two goals in the last week or so could be two of the most valuable goals that Luton Town ever score given what's at stake here Mm. moving into the playoff picture I mean the question I was going to ask you turning the tables a bit Mm. on you is um, you look at the championship now You know, we've, we've spoken about Blackburn and QPR and Huddersfield and Luton they're the four teams who currently occupy third to sixth. You've got Huddersfield who uh, played 35 games. Only, I think, two teams in the top half. Them and Preston have played 35 games. Mm. Um, you've got Bournemouth on 31, plenty of others on 33. Blackburn and QPR both played 34. Luton, the only side in the in the top six at the moment. Sorry, in, in that in that group of four who are on 33. How many of those four do you reckon finish the season in the playoff berths?
0: It's, a, it's it's, the big question at the moment, isn't it? I, I guess I'm going to lean towards two of them. Um, all of them, particularly Huddersfield and Luton, it feels counterintuitive to do them down necessarily because they've been on such good form. I think it's eight wins in 11 for Luton, five in their last six. Huddersfield clearly in sensational nick at the moment. Um, I guess the question is whether uh, the consistency of performances and the extent to which they are edging, tight-ish games. That's not to say they're not edging them. That's not to say they're not the better team in some of these games. You know, I spoke about Huddersfield deserving their win against Fulham. They certainly earned it comfortably yesterday. And you can say the same for Luton. I guess the concern would be keeping it up for another 13. Uh, But I definitely have concerns about Blackburn and QPR based on their recent performances as well. Uh, QPR will... It's not necessarily like they have a ton of players to come back either. Um, they've got the left wing-back situation, which hasn't been ideal, with right wing-backs playing on the on the so-called wrong side. Uh, McCallum coming back from injury should help that. Lee Wallace as well won't be out for too long. That will give them extra balance. And Dykes, when he returns, will, will offer them something. I guess you could hope that QPR could get back to the, the form that they showed for the majority of the season. Blackburn, similar really. Uh, it's very hard to know how these two teams will do for the next 12 games of the season because... Certainly, in the case of Blackburn, we felt they were overachieving to a pretty large extent. So, do you then take what they did for just over half of the season as their obvious level throughout, or will they drop down to to a separate level? It's a completely wishy-washy answer. I've not said anything of any note because get off the I've, fence. Give me a number. Well, I'm scared of I'm scared of making predictions. Really, I have I have thought for the last few weeks that Sheffield United and Middlesbrough will make the playoffs. Yeah. The fact that they both lost this weekend, Borough to Barnsley and Sheffield United to Millwall, I have to say to myself, don't just overreact to one weekend's results. Otherwise, we'll be changing our predictions every single week, which is just exhausting. Yeah. So I'm going to stick with Sheffield United and Borough making the playoff places. I'm not going to tell you which two of the four I think will drop out. So you think two? I think two of the current four will be in the playoffs nice. at the end of the season. I think.
1: I think max one is my... Max one. Max 1. I think there is, because it's so tight, there's definitely a skew um, in favour of, of the teams who played more games. Um, I've mentioned there that I'm not sold on Luton's run. Um, I think it's the kind of run that will inevitably be followed by a poorer run, because um, I don't think they're putting in top six performances every week to get the wins that they are. No dis- disrespect to them. They're clearly playing incredibly well um, and better than they were in the first half of the season. But when you look at the teams who are chasing them, you know when you've got Sheffield United, Middlesbrough, one and two points behind them having played the same amount of games I don't think it's going to take too much for those teams to get past them I think Huddersfield have done incredibly to get where they are but again it's a similar argument to Luton where I don't think they have the gears to get into in order to to consistently um, get past them and I think they are where they are I mean they were they were second at half-time yesterday because Bournemouth were losing mm. um, and then QPR and Blackburn um, both teams putting in performances that in recent weeks that have me doubting them I think Sheffield United, Middlesbrough, Forest. If I were to have, um, you know, I I think from what I'm seeing, the best models would have them uh, above those guys in terms of of strength. I think if they were to play the teams we've just mentioned at neutral venues tomorrow, they would all be favourites over those four. Uh, And given how small the gap is.
0: There's a lot of games left, isn't there, still? I'm calling it the business end of the season. 13 is still a lot. It's a lot of games. Forrest had a comfortable win at home to Bristol City yesterday. Uh, great to see Brennan Johnson continuing his excellent form. Very impressive psychologically, I would say, to, to put behind the pretty strong rumours of a, of a Premier League move in January and keep focusing on his football. He is a young man with a sensational future in the game. But playing another few months of championship football uh, will do him no harm because the confidence that he will be getting from the things that he's doing uh, is magnificent. A lot of good young players on show on that pitch yesterday. James Garner, of course, owned by Manchester United scoring the second for Forrest a welcome win for them heavily expected of course um, but you know but no no little relief really after two draws in a row uh, had seen the playoff places get a little further away. I will say we got some big fixtures on this front coming up soon George Luton's next two games are away at Middlesbrough and away at Coventry City. Now Cov keep scoring late to Nick points whether it's one or three that has been the theme of their last few games 90th minute winner against Barnsley. 89th minute winner against Bristol City, 98th minute equalizer uh, against Preston. I've got a sense that that Coventry are really at their limit at the moment, striving for everything and therefore probably won't have the the energy, won't have the the steam to punch their way much higher than the 10th place position they're in now. But with these big games, You have to put them part of the conversation. They will play at home to Luton. They will probably be favourites to win that game. There's currently three points between the two teams. So it just goes to show what an exciting situation we have. We should mention Millwall as well. They've punched their way in the conversation over the last few weeks with four straight wins, and they beat Blades on Saturday. Incredibly low-margin game, settled by a Jake Cooper set-piece goal, I think, that for the moment at least, those who criticise Gary Rowett's style of play and say it's not sufficiently blood and thunder for Millwall FC will have to be quiet just for the moment because you cannot argue with the results realistically. The, The expectation for every fan of every club should be higher than a boring neutral like myself. But objectively, to have Millwall in the top half With the squad, with the budget, I know there's a feeling that he could have done more in the transfer market and that they haven't been great on that front in the last few years. I know there's concerns about the breakup of this squad, which has been one of the most settled squads in the championship for the last few years, particularly Jed Wallace, of course, as its star, Uh, but it is still an excellent job being done on the resources. You can still see how competitive they are, how infrequently they are dominated, and of course that means sometimes they'll have a run of games where they fall on the wrong side of it, as they did well, for December and January, basically. But it also means that when they start managing games well, when they have a run of home games like they have done, they will start picking up points. So a, a big shout out to to Millwall um, moving into the top half over the last few weeks. Um, anything extra to add on the playoff chat? That's obviously defeat for Sheffield United, uh, which looks damaging on paper, but realistically, they've had a lot of games recently. You still think they're looking in pretty good nick. I know you were very impressed with with their performance in midweek, certainly to start that game against Blackburn.
1: Yeah, um, they were without key players here. I mean, the the first thing to mention is that Jaden Bogle's injury is is a big blow. Um, He's out for the rest of the season. It initially looked like it was just going to be a knee injury that they needed to manage. It's now looking worse than that. I think he's having an operation. He's out to the end of the season. Um, They didn't have Charlie Good here after he was sent off on his debut. Um, and it was a, a bit of a makeshift team. Uh, we had Kyron Gordon making his first start on the right-hand side of the back three, uh, which was not planned. Um, I assumed Ben Davis would play, but he was on the bench, which was a bit of a strange one. Having um, I actually wrote a match preview for this game and I said the most obvious change of the whole weekend is Ben Davis coming for Charlie Good and it didn't happen, mm. uh, which was which was interesting. I'm guessing because Davis is a, a left-footed player and, and they didn't want to play him on the... didn't want to play two left-footers. Um, but... I mean Millwall are a, are a side who now they've got players back from injury now they've got Jed Wallace playing uh, where he you know back fits and without any distractions uh, Tyler Bury's made a really impressive start to his first team career at Millwall so even without phobe, um who we thought would be a miss they're looking very lively and uh, and are playing well at the moment so I don't think they've lost a great deal in defeat here Sheffield United and, and I think they've quite clearly got enough about them to to keep rising up the table
0: what happened with Borough this weekend and in using this segue we'll pivot towards a look at the at the bottom of the championship table because Borough were beaten by Barnsley, bottom club Barnsley, until recently where they've started to string together a few much-needed victories. Three in their last four, they've beaten QPR Hull and now Borough. This one 3-2 George but uh, I mean it was 3-0 to Barnsley after 54 minutes. The Borough fans fuming about this. The Barnsley fans full of hope. They are now in 22nd spot. Barnsley six points, sorry, Reading six points above them. Barnsley have a game in hand. Talk me through this game and what on earth you're making of Poyer as Baggy's Barnsley resurrection. Well, I think we have to completely change the way we were looking at them,
1: um, especially at home, where their last three performances have been being the better side in the defeat against Bournemouth being the better side in a win against QPR and then being the better side until being 3-0 up and then understandably um, dropping in a bit against Borough. You've got three teams there who we've just spoken about in, in a very different conversation who they have have operated at a higher level than and then you add to the mix the 2-0 win over Hull which at the time looked like they were playing against the Hull side who were um kind of gone at the game but then um as we're going to speak about in a second yesterday looked, looked very different so I think Barnsley are playing better you look at the personnel and it's probably not a massive surprise you know I mean Bassey was the the hero yesterday with two goals and an assist he looks like a very inspired signing I don't think anyone knew much about him before um before the move to Barnsley <laughs> I don't think you can take the credit for it but um but he uh yeah, and then, and then just, you know, Keener's obviously coming and been better. Carton Morris missed a lot of the season. He's now back from injury. It, it looks like a very different side. Callum Stiles playing on the right-hand side of a three. Not somewhere we expected him to play, but he's performing well there. And Matty Wolf, uh, came in and, um, and played in, in a holding midfield role yesterday and did a good job. It just feels, it looks and feels like a very different side, not only to the side we saw at the beginning of this season, but also the, the Barnsley side from last season, who did so well. This feels like as Baggy's side now, uh, playing a kind of different style and executing it very well. So I think we just have to recalibrate what we think of Barnsley. That's not to say that, that Borough shouldn't feel aggrieved. You know, they created loads of chances. Um, I feel like they probably had enough chances. I think Andras Sparar had eight shots alone in the game, all
0: of which were inside the inside the box. Um, but... Balogun just not quite precise enough as well in his bench cameo. Lively, but uh, finding the woodwork rather than the back of the net. Yeah. I I... I... I think you're right to point out Carlton Morris. He has looked excellent in the last few weeks. And he's someone who I think is probably still a little underrated. And because it feels like he's been around for a while, probably someone who is kind of seen like he might have found his level as as being a, a bottom half championship player. And in flashes recently, I've seen signs that he could be absolutely something more than that because and this is very much when he's at his best and I don't want this to sound like he's playing like this every week but recently he has been the perfect number nine for this situation and particularly when you've got technical players like Bassi and Kina alongside him he has been looking very strong he he is a strong striker he can handle himself physically but he's also scored some some brilliant goals some great finishes he can run in behind he's I don't want to say he's the all-round package but he's a very interesting player and I think If Barnsley do go down, there'll be a lot of clubs in the championship looking to see if they might be able to pick him up on something of a reduced fee because of the the relegation. Having said that, he might be inspiring them to to something a little more exciting. Styles, brilliant as well. Um, Gomez, the the City lowly in the centre of midfield, he's been picking up rave reviews as well. He's another player I think you know he'll go back to City in the summer, come what may, with Barnsley, and I think we will see him uh, at the top of the Championship. And he might be someone that we start talking about a little more positively when he's playing in a side that that are picking up more results and and uh, dominating games as this Barnsley side are now. Uh, lastly, they've got a player called Wolf and they've got a player called Moon. When Moon makes a mistake, what does Wolf do? Cry howls at the moon.
1: I think it cries both.
0: Wolf howls at the moon. Ah, okay. We both got a phrase out of that. Nicely done. Uh, Very significant win for them. A A blip for Middlesbrough. I think their fans are pretty frustrated about, very particularly, their goalkeeper situation. A lot of chat about how can you expect to win promotion if you've got Joe Lumley in goal. I think it's a little bit reductive to, to, to single out someone to that extent. And yet I am sympathetic to, to the viewpoint. I, I don't think Joe Lumley is a particularly strong Championship goalkeeper. As you know, my feeling on Championship keepers is that probably the gap between the best ones and, and the middle ones and the middle ones and the worst ones isn't necessarily as big as some people think. But even so, it, it, it is a bit peculiar. And you wonder how much more patience Wilder will have with him. He's someone who's known for making fairly cutthroat decisions. Uh, but exciting times for Barnsley. they got Reading to catch... George, six points behind them, uh, with a game in hand. Reading lost 4 1 to Blackpool. Uh, I, I saw some suggestions in midweek that because of Blackpool's impressive performance this season and their mid table um, prediction, there were suggestions that they were slightly on the beach already. My first thought was surely it, it'd be on the pier yeah, in Blackpool. What thought, What's the point of going to the beach when you've got the pier? Um, but also, I think we just see that someone like Critchley, it's hard for me to imagine at this stage of the season that he'd be overseeing a team that was you know slacking off because of their league position and, and we saw that with a very comfortable win against a Reading team who still suffering from sort of annoying injuries um, Paul Ince getting the, the two wins or, or the he, he saw the win against Preston he then oversaw the win against Birmingham in midweek which was relatively comfortable I think uh, back down to earth with a bump the Blackpool fans chuffed to have got one over their former manager who wasn't very popular but the biggest game in the sort of narrative sense, George, in the championship, was Peterborough nil, Hull three. Dripping. Dripping with narrative, dripping with Grant McCann, who is back in the posh dugout. Um, Darren McAntony and co. uh, Going back to the well, just as they did previously with Darren Ferguson, with a manager they know well in in Grant McCann. And of course, the first game back at home against the club that shifted him out in Hull City as they were on good form and not long after he had won them the League One title. Uh, As it was... The, the narrative that suggested maybe McCann could get one over Hull City was completely uh, false because Hull ran out very comfortable winners and it's more doom and gloom for posh.
1: Yeah, I was interested to see what Team Grant McCann picked. Um, and it, as expected, it was a kind of a throwback as much as possible to last season. Um, it was a 3-5, kind of 1-2. They they played a lot. Smodics was back in, having not played much recently. Warden Burrows out wide. Um, Knight Edwards and Kent, the, the defensive three. I think he was trying to kind of recapture whatever it was last season that worked so well. Uh, but this didn't work at all. Um, I was surprised to see him drop uh, Jandro Fuchs, who they brought in in January, who's been a, a very rare, positive in the last few weeks at Peterborough. He didn't even come off the bench. Um, I thought coming into this, I'll hold my hands up when you're wrong. You hold your hands up. I thought um, that Hull, I thought this might be the, the game or the day where Hull's season began to unravel. I was having flashbacks to what happened two years ago when they made a, a seismic decision at a stage of the season where they thought they were safe and ended up basically not picking up another point for the rest of the campaign and getting relegated. After what I saw against Barnsley, it felt like that could happen again here. Um, but clearly I forgot how good Keen Lewis-Potter is. And it was Lewis-Potter's quality that was significant here. One massive positive at the moment for Hull is Brandon Fleming, um, a left wing back. Mm. A player who has kind of burst onto the scene out of nowhere and has been incredibly good. Uh, he got two assists yesterday, taking it to three for the season. But his, his, his performances, even at a time where uh, Hull haven't been very good, have been a source of, of much... Joy um, for Hull fans, and he looks to be nailing down that left wing back slot, which is good for them because it means that Keane Lewis Potter won't be shoved uh, on that side as well when um, when they want to accommodate another attacking player. Um, So Hull, yeah, massively good value for the win. There was a clear golfing quality between the two sides. Any concerns we had about Hull possibly sliding into the relegation picture are gone, I would say. And for Peterborough now, given what Barnsley are doing. yeah, I mean, it would, it would be an incredible job for McCann to save them from here.
0: They are just a, a nothing football team and have been basically all season. And I mean, there's nothing about them at the back, particularly. There's nothing about them really in midfield. I mentioned the other day, I think Norburn's stock has risen slightly, uh, having signed him from Shrews. Outside of that, Fuchs, you mentioned, came in late in the windows, had a couple of appearances and... I guess a couple of flashes of quality outside of that in midfield. Almost nothing. Burrows, I suppose, uh, has acquitted himself fairly well at times. Uh, And a a nothing team up front, which lost its best player in in Dembele in January, um, that has tried everything, really. Every possible system and formation and and formatting of these players, and and nothing has worked. Um, It's it's difficult to imagine a great escape. And yet, stranger things have happened. So I'm not going to relegate them just yet. Um, If they do go down, well, of course, you know, there will be a confidence in having Grant McCann at at the helm because he coped incredibly well with a Hull side that had suffered a much more traumatic relegation than this Peterborough one would be. Um, Does that mean he'll just do it again next year and go straight back up again? Not necessarily. Different club, different squad composition. Um, But again, it would certainly add some confidence i think depending on what happens over the next 13 games or so um so that is the bottom of the table at the very top george fulham march on they went to cardiff they won 1-0 i think there's a sense that fulham aren't out there free flowing best at the moment but it doesn't much matter uh, remember this is a team who basically get asked different questions to any other team in the league because every team they come up against packs the defense tries to deny them space in the attacking third um, and says to them, try and play around the sides. And if Mitro scores a header and beats us, then fair enough. We'll, we'll accept that. Uh, they were the better side against Cardiff, and Mitro did score. And I sort of feel like we should try, where possible, not to take his goal scoring for granted, even though uh, we're not fans of repeating ourselves. He has scored 34 goals now in the championship. It is absolutely astonishing. 34 in 31 games. It is video game stuff for Mitrovic and it is sensational. At Bournemouth are in second. They cranked out George their fourth win in a row. Not a comfortable one at home to Stoke, helped by a first half red card. I feel like all four of Bournemouth's wins recently have felt not that comfortable. Um perhaps still, you know, despite being in such a strong position with the games in hand, with the points on the board, not as convincing as I'd probably expect a second place team to be before I'm I'm calling it, you know, locked in. So I think there's still some intrigue here, some interest.
1: Yeah, I think there is too. Um, Stoke scored a brilliant goal through Tommy Smith early on, well, 20 minutes into the game and with fairly good value for that lead. And it was, in my opinion, a, a pretty poor refereeing decision um, to send Morgan Fox off, uh, which changed the game. Uh, Fox, it's, it's, it's a classic heavy touch followed by a bit of a lunge, but it's not a lunge where he gets the man first. He, he gets the ball about a second before he, he, he makes contact with the player. And from what I can see, the foot is kind of back down again by the time he does make contact, and it's, and it's marginal anyway. Um, I don't think that's a red card. I think it's almost not even a foul, uh, I would say. There's got to be a level where if you are first to the ball and, and a player is in your sliding um, arc, you're going to make contact. And that doesn't have to be a foul, especially if your foot isn't in a dangerous position. Um, so, And that changed the game in, in a way that was beneficial for uh, for Bournemouth they were able to turn the screw and it kind of always felt like they were going to score at least one. And once Solanke got the first, it was Jamal Lowe um, who who got the important second. Todd Cantwell looked very lively um, in the middle of the park. I think he's added something a bit new. Um, But as you say, I I don't think Bournemouth are playing particularly well. They've won their last three games. Uh, They've conceded in all three. Um, And they've got, you know, the, the fixtures don't look particularly testing for them. You know, they go to Preston, which isn't great, but then they've got three home games back to back against three of the teams in the relegation picture. Peterborough, Derby and Reading and if they get nine points from those three which you know they're going to be heavily odds on to to win all three of them uh, it's going to be very difficult for anyone to catch them.
0: Now Stoke's fans are pretty down at the moment pretty fed up I mean the fact that Stoke City are 15th in the championship has somewhat caught me by surprise uh, but it speaks to how few wins they've picked up recently just one in eight or 2-12, if you prefer, or 3-15. and That's their run since, well, late November, and it's clearly not good enough. Um, a lot of January additions, which at first look to have shown some flashes of quality, um, but you look back, uh, a win against a Hull City side who were desperate on the day in mid-Jan, a win against a Swansea City side who are desperate away from home, in early Feb they were the better side against Huddersfield let's not forget that and they were the victim of poor refereeing decisions in that game Um, there have been some half decent performances in here but it, it doesn't really help much when the results as they are when you're sliding down the table and of course with Stoke City given how disappointing their whole few years has been since relegation from the Premier League the cycle starts again where there's just a real unhappiness there's an apathy it it permeates the club um, the, que- the players get questioned, the manager gets questioned. I think because they've been through a few managers now, there is at least a, uh, a wider understanding of well, does spinning off Michael O'Neill, you know, are we literally just spinning the wheel until we find a magician who will sort everything out? I don't know. But it's certainly the case that going forward, for a few years or a few seasons now, Stoke have not been good enough. In my opinion, under Michael O'Neill, there have been times where they've looked very, very solid. There have been times where they've looked like a good side, but not consistently enough, not convincingly enough. Uh, and they, they will most likely go on a bit of a run soon. I believe they've got a, a nicer run of games coming up. I don't think it's, you know, I don't think they're at rock bottom here necessarily, or. It, What I should say is, if this is rock bottom, I can see them having a better few weeks. So uh, they they certainly feel like a team, real doom and gloom at the moment. I think they'll probably finish the season a little bit stronger. And then the big decision will come in the summer, whether they, uh, as I say, spin the wheel with Michael O'Neill and try and look for someone, something else. Of course, having hired Nathan Jones, who was the young hotshot just a few years ago, who was swallowed up and spat out by Stoke City. Uh, I wonder if that will put them off making a similar appointment that, that's what you the, those are the brave decisions you have to make at League One George we will start at the top here particularly Wigan Sunderland was the fixture that stood out most to me uh, over the weekend Sunderland in, in such poor form of course but they went to Wigan and they won 3-0 was it as comfortable as it sounds um, yes I, I mean I, I guess so uh,
1: with the caveat of it being three goals Um that came from set pieces, mm-hmm. effectively. Still um, count, I know. <laughs> but in terms of comfort, you know, the, the first, I think the, the important thing, as I said on Quest last night, was that you know, going into this game, Sunderland fans were really starting to doubt Alex Neil um, if they ever believed in him in the first place. To be honest, they uh, were going into this game fully expecting to be to be well beaten uh, and to score after two minutes at Wigan uh, through a Bailey Wright set piece goal suddenly changed the whole narrative it was suddenly changed the whole expectation and there was you know there were points to be won and they were in a commanding position to do so and that and that was important and the way that they managed the game with Wigan having a couple of opportunities as you'd expect but not really troubling them too much and then actually it being Ross Stewart's two penalties that um that added uh, some gloss to the scoreline uh, means they went they you know they went to Wigan they won 3-0 not many teams beat Wigan let alone winning 3-0 showed a new level of performance we haven't necessarily seen so far this season. And it'll have fans not only getting behind Alex a little bit, but looking at the table and seeing like, oh, well, actually, yes, we were in a much more commanding position before. But the the top two is never really on. You know, I know some Sunderland fans would have thought they should be there because of, of, of who they are and where they've been previously in the season. But it was always a massive long shot to get there. So they're still banging the playoff picture and should make the playoffs if, if the form goes okay. And if they go and take... Good form into the playoffs. There's no reason why they can't get promoted this season. It feels like a a bit of a new dawn result in my book for for Alex Neal and for Sunderland. Uh, and and certainly buys him not time because I'm sure he would get time anyway. But just buys, um, just, just gives him a bit of a an impetus to to move forward rather than scrapping around for that all important first win.
0: I hope that this victory acts like. Sort of smelling salts for Sunderland fans to to bring them round from what from what's been what six weeks of of this kind of fever, this like hysterical fever of uh, understandable anger at many different things that were going on, both on the pitch, uh, in the dugout, and off the pitch as well, um, which we spoke about over the last few weeks. It, it's felt like a state of complete crisis, and probably one which neutral fans would. Almost roll their eyes at being like, "Yeah, you think this is a crisis? Well, you don't really know what what's going on elsewhere." But you know, it's all relative to to the team and the fan base. And it felt like there was no reasoning with with some Sunderland fans after um, a poor first few games under Alex Neil. Um, But you've got a very good manager. You've got a very good team as well, a lot of good players. Now, it might not be perfectly built. It might not be perfectly balanced either, and there's certainly evidence that they've been a bit tired, which doesn't bode too well with still a fair few games to go. But the season is not over. There is absolutely still a chance of promotion. And I dare say, George, you'll know better than me, if Sunderland do make the playoffs... I wouldn't be surprised if they're favourites to win them with the bookmakers and and are perceived to have the highest probability of doing so because uh, that tends to be the case. That doesn't necessarily mean we will think they'll win them. That's another question entirely. That win was obviously pretty damaging for Wigan, particularly because Rotherham won 1-0 at Plymouth Argyle. What an impressive result this was. There's always a risk of uh, underplaying it when teams are winning and keep winning and you just gloss over it. But no, going to Argyle and winning is massive because Argyle's home form this season has been very, very strong. Uh, it it wasn't without riding out plenty of Argyle chances, uh, having some poor finishing to thank and some good goalkeeping, um, but it's a bit of a trend for all them, isn't it? They have still not conceded a goal away from home in the first half all season. They've only conceded five goals away from home all season. Uh, it is the most astonishing record. And in fact, George, Rotherham have a better points per game than Fulham and Forest Green now. So again, there might have been a, a feeling that relative to their levels, Fulham were stronger or Forest Green were more dominant. Rotherham are the team in the EFL who have picked up the best points per game record in the EFL this season. They are the team in the EFL on course for 100 points. It is absolutely sensational. And I loved and I loved Ben Wiles' play uh, to set up Michael Smith for the goal. Just sensational stuff. So the top two is... Rotherham seventy five. We should, Wigan. should
1: say, in fairness to Argyle, I think a lot of Plymouth Argyle fans can't believe they didn't get something from the game based on their performance as well. Yes. Um, but, and even Paul Warren said after the game that he was a bit miffed as to the performance itself. But you know, that's eight clean sheets and their last ten on the road. And if you're doing that, you're, you're going to get promoted.
0: They've still got MK at home, Oxford at home and Sunderland at home, Plymouth Argyle this season. You feel like those home games will go some way to defining their season. They've got some tough away fixtures as well. Wigan away, Wickham away, Ipswich away and Bolton away all to come as well. So um, in the balance, but a, a, another strong performance, you have to say, despite not picking up the wins that they had done recently. George, the playoff picture was pretty lively. Uh, three of the teams in the playoffs one at home, the other Sunderland, one away from home. Uh, MK Dons, Sunderland, uh, sorry, MK Dons, Oxford United and Sheffield Wednesday all winning at home. Shall we start with Oxford 4, Cambridge United 2 because it was a, a very important day at the Kassam, uh, a huge occasion for one large reason in particular.
1: Yeah, it was It was the day that I guess Oxford United said goodbye to Joey Beecham. Um, I know that some people who listen to this podcast understandably think we give Oxford uh, too much Coverage because uh, I'm an Oxford fan, but um, I think in this occasion, the uh, the outpouring of emotion around uh, Beacham and, and the respect shown by by other clubs, you know, Mark Bonner gave a brilliant interview after the game yesterday, saying something similar um, is important. It's it, you know, I nearly said on Quest yesterday every club has that player, and then I realised that every club doesn't have that player. Um, it's only a few clubs that have someone who who comes through uh, the academy at their their local club and then has the talent to leave them well behind, but for um, other circumstantial reasons, ends up basically spending his whole career there um, when he should have left us well behind. So it's, it's pretty significant. And then also the tragic circumstances around his death as well at such a young age it means it, it is pretty raw. And I was sad not to be there. Um, I'd have liked to have been there. I've, I've heard lots of reports saying it was very emotional. Um, Joey Beecham's two daughters were... At the game, as well as the rest of his family, they laid a wreath behind the goal. Um, And then after the 4-2 win, Carl Robinson, who I have to say has been unbelievable. I mean, he's, he's a popular guy anyway in Oxford. Um, But the way that he has understood the importance of this, you know, he he knew Joey Beecham through his time at the club. He invited him to go and train with the, with the, with the club a couple of years ago. Um The way he's carried himself, you know, I think Carl often gets a bad rap in some quarters, whether it's from away fans or, or at previous clubs as well, but either he's grown or or he's um or, or he's given uh too tough a time because the way that he's he's conducted himself has been exemplary and, and I think a lot of Oxford fans are very thankful for him for um understanding that the club is is in mourning and doing so with them. Um and the game itself was um as you'd expect, you know, Oxford lined up with this ridiculous team. I sent you the the, uh, the graphic at about one past two um, with uh, basically Steve Seddon who's as an attacking a, a left-back as you're going to get. Ryan Williams, a winger by trade, playing right-back. Luke McNally, the only n- notable um, defensive-minded player with attacking right-back Sam Long alongside him at centre-back. And then Herbie Kane, Cameron Brannigan, uh, Mark Sykes and, and Gavin White playing in some amalgamation of a, of a diamond. And then Matt Taylor and, and, and Sam Baldock playing up front. Um, the... the Cambridge played very well and I think could feel a little bit aggrieved and not taking something from the game, but at the end, Oxford's quality in those advanced areas showed. I think having Taylor and Bulldog at this level is is pretty potent, a duo. Um, And and to be honest, I I think Jack Stevens, not for the first time this season, should have done a lot better, certainly with a second goal and probably should have come out a bit quicker for the first as well.
0: So my question to you is, Sheffield Wednesday beating Charlton 2 0, MK Don's beating Bolton 2 0. I think, you know, the quality of the opposition there means that MK's win against a, a resurgent Bolton side rather than Wednesday's win against a pretty insipid Charlton side stands out the most. But um, both 2 0 wins from two sides in magnificent form. George, with respect to Wigan, we've always been fairly consistent that we think their performance level didn't necessarily have them as a nailed on automatic promotion contender while accepting that the results were absolutely that Um, not to overreact to one defeat but it will be certainly very interesting to see how they respond to that heavy home defeat to Sunderland partly because there are some very strong teams beneath them Oxford being one of them scoring goals for fun but you've been pretty strong on Sheffield Wednesday being the second best team in League One just at the moment their current level over the last few weeks I wonder if MK Don's fans turn their noses up a little bit and whether they somehow think they might be going under the radar somewhat despite <laughs> being in third place, despite being in ridiculous form, 27 points over their last 12 games and seemingly strengthening all the time.
1: I think any MK Don's fan who has a, has a go at us for not giving them enough credit so anyone listening to the pod for about two weeks then. Um, you know, they, Liam Manning's doing an amazing job and, and given... You know the, the players they lost, or the player they lost in January, in Matt O'Reilly for their for their form not to have really been hit. Um, is impressive. Scott Twine back in the goals, which is important for them. In terms of catching Wigan, you know I, I think they probably are the most likely because of the way the table looks at the moment. Even if I'd have Sheffield Wednesday as a better side than them, the key for Wigan is is the games they've got now. Um, because I think as soon as Wigan start having to play catch up with their games in hand, it becomes trickier. But their next two games are Fleetwood and Wimbledon at home. They then got MK Dons away, which is crucial, but they follow that with Crew away and then a Morecambe at home. So they're playing four of the sides in the bottom six in their next five games. Uh, it will be interesting to see how they react. And after, But after that Morecambe game, unless there's a big drop off and they lose to MK Dons, um, given their commanding position at the moment with the games in hand, uh, I still think they are there in the box seat.
0: MK have had some really tough fixtures recently and they've got through basically all of them. I'm just struck by how good they are defensively. Uh, and I, you know I mentioned Kieran McKenna and how um, his Clearly, his coaching and tactical ability has shown itself at Ipswich immediately with them becoming absolutely brilliant out of possession, incredibly difficult to play through. And while that might not be hugely sexy for a team that you you kind of expect to dominate games with the squad that they have, with the talent advantage that they have, it's absolutely uh, a great way to start if you're trying to build a winning football team. Now, Liam Manning is a few months down the line at Ipswich. He is a similarly young manager and I could say the exact same thing about him. MK Dons were... Uh, soft were a light touch uh, and I didn't see any particular reason why they would be anything other than that but they are now among the best defensive teams in the league if not uh, the best outside of Rotherham and they're showing that with a number of clean sheets with keeping it tight and they get a lot from their defenders as well in possession I feel like Scott Twine gets a lot of headlines for his incredible goal scoring and creative numbers this season but I do think the back three of Lewington, O'Hora, and Darling are arguably the most important players for what they do all round because Darling in particular, you'll watch uh, the highlights of this game back, striding into midfield, carrying the ball through the heart of Bolton's set defence and causing it to sort of, um, yeah, to collapse in in on itself. Having a centre-back who can do that while also being accurate with their passing, Lewington probably the best forward passer of all centre-backs in League One uh, and O'Hara has done really well on that front in the last few weeks as well they get so much from these three not just defensively where they are excellent but also in possession uh, and it's just uh, just in such good nick at the moment I make it a very very tough division to call right now because it feels like there are so many good teams and it's very exciting in fact the only team really moving in the wrong direction in this conversation uh, Wick and Wanderers who are in really poor form at the moment and um, I don't want to go over the top, but if we consider that in the last three years, Wickham and Gareth Ainsworth, it felt like, had captured EFL football lightning in a bottle with their incredible um, turnaround from being League One relegation candidates to promoted to the championship... Uh, to being competitive for the most part and, and growing stronger as that championship season went on. And then starting this campaign very strongly as well. And basically, you know, it, it felt like completely changing the whole narrative around the club from being lowly Wickham to being, you know, League One force Wickham. The last few weeks, some of that lightning seems to have come out of the bottle. I don't know whether it's smashed entirely or whether there's just a, a leak that needs to be, uh, a hole that needs to be filled. But certainly defensively, it's pretty embarrassing at the moment. You know, Accrington do ask a lot of questions of teams, very specifically um, set-piece and aerial questions, and actually a lot of teams have stood up to it well, and as we mentioned last week, you would expect Wickham to be the sort of team to be able to stand up with that. Similar questions they themselves have asked teams over the last few years, um, but instead, they're folding, they're so soft, and it's it's very tough to, to, to watch, to be honest. They've conceded three or more goals four of their last seven games three to Morecambe three to Wigan three to Accrington and of course five to Cheltenham. So uh, they're going to need some serious man management from Ainsworth and some of those individual players to to well pull up their socks if they're to stay in the playoff picture because of the form of the teams around them. They can't afford too many more winless games unless they're uh, going to slip away completely. I think the other part of League One, George, uh, just mad away wins. For clubs in the bottom part of the table. I'm talking Crew Alexandra going to Cheltenham and winning. I'm talking Gillingham going to Lincoln and winning. I'm talking Shrewsbury Town going to Burn Albion and winning. Could you talk me through those three, please? Because they are standout results and they shake up that bottom eight.
1: I think there's some method in the madness with a couple of them. Um, Crew were very good in midweek against Oxford. uh, And yes, they came into this one having... I think lost seven in a row, but certainly that performance repeated was always going to cause some some issues for Cheltenham. Um, good to see Chris Porter at the age of thirty eight getting a goal and an assist. I, I was sitting alongside uh, an ex crew playing thirty eight year old yesterday, who uh, who know yeah, I asked him if he fancied a go, and he said he said no. Who was that? Kenny Lunt? Dean Ashton. <laughs> Just um, and then the Gillingham one is is that a surprise? Uh, possibly. Kind of ish, you know. That's now what was it three wins and seven for, for Neil Harris's Gillingham. They're they're playing pretty well. Ben Thompson looks like an inspired signing. A, a classic case of there's no way they'd have got him unless he had a relationship with the manager who's managed at a higher level. Um, getting him in from Millwall scored a quality goal. Viden Oliver with a you know the, the the commanding leap and header that we saw so much last season getting the opener as well. I guess the biggest shock is Shrewsbury, who's away form has been poor, who, who don't normally score many goals, and, and Burton looked to be. Trending in the right direction before this. Lovely finish from Tom Bloxham for the first from a, from a corner kind of behind him running backwards. I think when a, a little a scoop over the shoulder.
0: 18 year old?
1: 18 year old, six foot five
0: striker. I think we have to expand on that, don't Lively. we? Lively.
1: Yeah, I mean, he's. He's obviously not been he's, prolific he's this season, a, but
0: the very fact of him getting so many <clears> starts <throat> is going to be huge for scored, a young player's development. He
1: scored a bicycle kick in August, five games into the season, and it was Shrewsbury's first goal of the season after five games. Uh, he has been pretty hit and miss since then. He was taking out of the firing line a bit in the last few weeks when Daniel Udo and and Ryan Bowman were going through their good spell. Udo's definitely dropped off and he's kind of been reintroduced here. I I think Shrewsbury fans know that he is a very good talent and someone to be excited by. There's definitely not a massive clamour that he right now is the finished article, but he certainly has all the attributes in terms of physicality. um, And, you know, the two goals he scored have both been pretty striking uh, i guess maybe he needs to show a bit more of the, the normal striking game you know he has to be able to get on the end of of just score tap-ins yes. and, and those.
0: he's on the 21 on the 20 21 radar that's for sure radar, yeah. and still eligible for a good few years of course so no need to rush things um what it means for well the bottom eight george can i talk you through it please shrewsbury are now six points clear of relegation on 37 points lincoln city who have lost three games in a row, they are the current ones looking very nervy on 35 points, four points above the relegation zone. Fleetwood and Wimbledon sit two points above it. Fleetwood have only played 32 games, Wimbledon 34. Morecambe are in the top relegation spot, 21st on 31 points, also having played 34. And then Jills have played a game more, they're on 30, three points from safety. Donny, one point back from that, having played 36. They've played the most games significantly here. They're four points from safety. And Crew Alex, 25 points, eight points from safety, having played 34. Of course, another significant game in this conversation was AFC Wimbledon 2, Doncaster 2. Wimbledon 2-0 up in this game, throwing it away, still winless for an extended period of time. How much did that second half feel significant for the, well, for the comfort the relative comfort that Wimbledon might have felt and for the uh, the possibility that Doncaster might have felt that a, a famous miracle survival was still on.
1: I think the whole game was significant. You know, Wimbledon fans would have left wondering how they'd thrown away a two-goal lead. Um, they completely retracted into their shell, having gone 2-0 up and, and let Donny back into the game, which is so different to kind of the brave... Um, belief that Mark Robinson we've seen so many times instill into his players they were good value for the 2-0 lead Doncaster fans will rightly say that the score of the second goal and a player who was influential throughout in Luke McCormick shouldn't have been on the pitch it was a shocking challenge of his um, that went with just a yellow card I'm not entirely sure how the, um, the foul was seen and not acted upon properly um, but Doncaster then came back Tommy Rowe has been Doncaster's best player in this run um, as you'd expect someone who should be a pretty pretty big figure for them um, and he scored the two goals and then it was very very close to being 3-2 to Donny with Brown making a, 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 um, a goal line clearance to stop it being 3-2 and then Wimbledon nearly went the other end and scored in the very last minute as well so an end-to-end game and the circumstances means that both sets of fans are going to leave frustrated although Donny probably coming back from 2-0 down will be happy that they managed to get that point and not lose more ground on a team just
0: above them. Big things down there, uh, I remember that it feeling like there were four teams who were who were gone, who were done, and maybe one season, George, we will learn not to say things or suggest things like that when there's still 15, 20, sometimes a whole half of the season still to go, uh, but not yet, we haven't learned that yet, evidently. Uh, it's another part of the EFL that will be worth keeping an eye on. There was a very lively game as well, Portsmouth 3-0 down at home to Fleetwood, Pompey, Uh, then roaring back and rescuing a 3 all draw smashing goal from Paddy Lane in this game Um, goals from Curtis from the spot harness and then a late equaliser from Aidan O'Brien Portsmouth are up there with, I think they're in the top 5 teams I can't put my finger on this season for sure Um, you might remember that when we did our mid-season predictions they were on a run of I think 10 or 11 games unbeaten Um, and then as I predicted them to make the playoffs They rattled out a six-game winless run, only two points in that time. Uh, Then three wins in a row at home to Burton, home to Donny, away at Shrews, before this, you have to say, disappointing result home to Fleetwood when they had a chance to make it four wins in a row. I can't get my finger on them. They're certainly not going to make the playoffs. They're not good enough. I'm just confused because I felt like one thing we could rely on with the Cowley brothers was... A sense of control on games, um, game management, game plans being seen through um, it hasn't really been the case. They've looked a lot looser than I expected at times, and they certainly haven't always looked like much of a threat going forward as well. So, a lot of work still to do. Um, by by no means, you know, saying that they are useless and rubbish and and they should change everything, um, but they have been underwhelming for me this season. And and this result, despite the late equaliser, um, certainly part of that. In League Two. The top three all lost. What? Mm. QPR, QPR? FGR, Forest Green Rovers, lost away at Crawley. Northampton lost away at Rochdale. Teams in the automatic promotion places are not meant to lose to mid-table teams at this point in the season, George.
1: Or is that, that's the trap you fall into, mate. They do. It happens. Yeah? Teams at the top. I feel like we do this every year. Teams at the top don't win every game. Do they not? No. It is weird. What happened in these ones? I've said with Northampton it's pretty simple. When they play poorly, they don't create much uh, and they don't concede many. Um here they played poorly, they they created barely anything, and there was a game a few chances and Tavon Campbell scored the only goal in the game in, in what was a pretty nondescript game, but Rochdale fans um delighted to, to get that all important result. Campbell looks like a really sharp bit of business. You know, we've seen him a lot in the EFL, never really doing too much, went to Woking and absolutely tore up the National League and they've dipped into into non league, of course, where they got Jay Beasley from Solihull Moors. Um, their recruitment from there is, you know, shows that there is decent work to be done. in Campbell with that goal, a very important goal, which dents Northampton's chances. And then you look at Forest Green, who've now picked up one point from their last three games against sides you wouldn't anticipate this coming from. Um, they were poor yesterday. You know, they, it wasn't quite as bad as the the Walsall performance. Um, you know, they they had chances. They looked more likely to go ahead before the goal. Uh, and Addison, who scored the first goal, bullying Jordan Moore-Taylor. Um, he actually didn't start. He was brought on because Ote uh, went off injured fairly early on. Crawley have some bad injury problems. Uh, and then they went 2-0 up and, and Forest Green huffed and puffed. They got a, a, a goal late on. They thought they'd equalised um, in the very last minute. But it was dropped off. And, they, I mean, they are certainly... I feel it feels like at both ends of the pitch, things have have kind of collapsed for them. Their their defensive solidity is gone and they're not looking anywhere near as dangerous going forward.
0: What about Newport for Tranmere 2? Because as far as I can tell, George, Newport looked comfortably the better side in this game, took a 2-0 lead, Tranmere flew back to make it level and then somewhat surprisingly, or perhaps not, Tranmere looking a lot more breachable over the last few weeks absolutely being breached it did take something special from Finn Az, though
1: yeah it did I mean Newport scored four goals against Tranmere which is significant in itself and, and even though James Roby has done a great job at Newport they did come into this having not won in four and um, it, Telford was a provider for the first, he scored the second, it looked like they were coasting to victory before a couple of quick Chanmere goals uh, and you know, it looked to me then like Chanmere were probably the more likely to go in and win it given the circumstances and, and the way that both teams have been, have been picking up points recently. But Finn Azaz, you know, Telford wins gets all the headlines but Azaz has been one of the best players I think in League 2 this season, um, especially under Robbery. His combination of quality and tenacity um, in that kind of advanced midfield role is is very, very effective and it was a brilliant long-range strike Worthy of turning any, any game on its head um, to make it 3-2. And then, of course, Telford with a, with a fairly easy finish to get two for the day and an assist and get the win. It feels like a significant win. It feels like a win that will show Newport that they can do it after a tricky run and, and crucially taking
0: points off a team they're trying to chase down. Now, we've got a situation where from Northampton in second to, I don't even know where to cut it, Salford in 11th. We've got 11 teams separated by nine points. Uh, There's another group that's even closer together, from Northampton in second to Newport in eighth. That's seven teams, just four points between them. And because there's a a disparity in the games they've played, in PPG terms, and I always use the Soccer Stats website because it's great for PPG, um, you're looking at 0.12 points per game separating an absurd amount of teams here, even down to Port Vale, in fact, in ninth. Eight teams separated by 0.12 points per game. It's another chunk of the EFL, which is just ridiculous at the moment. In terms of the teams involved and their um, how they fared yesterday, Sutton smashed Scunny, 4-1. Comfortable, overwhelmed them, won in a very Sutton United manner. Yeah. Port Vale beat Stevenage 2-0, two early goals, controlled it, saw it out. Very comfy, very concerned for Stevenage. We'll get on that in a, in a second. Um, I want to talk about Mark Hughes being appointed Bradford manager but on the field same old Bradford still losing games Mansfield winning that one 2-0 you can tell me about that one in a sec I'm interested to know how that one panned out and then Swindon throwing away a 1-0 lead against Salford to lose 2-1 that felt like a really significant swing as well because it put Salford absolutely in the conversation uh, as well just take a look at that group of teams for me George what you saw yesterday in those games that I've just mentioned and basically which teams are you seeing enough from to think I could see that team putting together a serious run here because there's there's two automatic promotion spots absolutely up for grabs
1: definitely Port Vale um, I think Port Vale again their defensive record is so good and they look so solid that it's hard not to see them um, well, it's hard to see them going through another poor run uh, I think Salford are the ones that maybe we're sleeping on a bit um, they're second in the form table in the last six games um, they they are not far off it at all, and taking those points off Swindon was significant, um, Swindon were poor yesterday, even though a McCurdy to put them ahead, um, they were never really looking like them, their normal selves, um, so those, I mean, yeah, and Bristol Rovers are in great form as well, it feels like there's a clutch of teams there who could all, it's similar to to the Championship, you know, the current, well, you look at the current teams behind Forest Green, Northampton, Tram, Exeter, Sutton, Mansfield and Swindon you know i wouldn't be overly confident that northampton and they will go up automatically and i wouldn't be over, overly confident that more than two of those teams in the playoff picture will, will end up in the in the top 7 so it is moving quickly um but it it feels yeah the championship League to it feels like maybe the best teams playing the best football or the most effective football in the picture currently aren't in the in the spots where they want to finish Oh,
0: it's very, very exciting, I must admit. It's very, very exciting. I've just noticed that Mansfield, who are currently sixth, actually by 0.01 point per game, have the second best points per game record in League Two. And I think it is worth looking at the table in that manner at this point in the season. It's absolutely fascinating. George, you must have spoken a lot in at Quest with Colin, with Dino, with producers about Mark Hughes being appointed Bradford City manager. Never managed outside of the Premier League before. Managed the Wales national team. His next job after leaving Stoke City, Bradford City in the fourth tier. I said last week it felt like they had tried everything. They had tried young coach with no experience, but with a a good um, youth development record in in Michael Collins. That was a disaster. They've tried old flames, Stuart McCall. They've tried safe pair of hands, Gary Bowyer. They've tried got promoted last season, Derek Adams, nothing's worked. I forgot, they, there was one thing they hadn't tried, and that was massive name coming from nowhere. From
1: a Barcelona
0: footballer. Incredible. Um, Yeah, I think the
1: good thing about this, in my view, is that it, it sounds like he approached the club, and I like that, because it means that he's aware of, of what he's getting himself in for. It's not just a, a Hail Mary call from the owner to try and get a big name in. Uh, and it means the financials are probably... Um, on their terms rather than on his terms um, they were okay yesterday I, I mean the thing that there's a massive disconnect between the way that the general footballing public is seeing this you know everyone looked at the league table and Hughes was appointed and was like oh 10 points off the playoffs could they do it and you've got Bradford fans saying guys we need, to need enough points to make sure we're not dragged into this relegation battle at the moment we're playing so poorly they were okay yesterday. You know, they had 14 shots to Mansfield's 14. They forced the Mansfield keeper into a couple of big saves. They probably didn't deserve anything from the game necessarily, but you couldn't have begrudged them a point. Um, and they've got players coming back. You know, Vernon is coming back. Walker's coming back. Um, and goal as well. They need those players to come back to give them just a bit more in, in, in the attacking areas because they just can't score goals at the moment. Um, but I, I think, you know, I, I'm not... Against the Hughes appointment, it seems like he's aware of what he's getting himself in for. And when you take over a club in in the kind of in a really poor run of form in the middle of the table, um, you're doing it for the long term, aren't you? you? You know, you're not coming in expecting fireworks immediately. So, um, yeah, I, I think
0: hopefully, once the players are back, they they put a bit of a run of form together. Then it's all about next season. I did find the concept of his contacts book being amazing and that being a huge positive quite interesting I'm not saying that it isn't and it remains to be seen how they go about their recruitment in the summer but it's not that easy to sign players in League 2 and there's there's probably an argument that you know if if it's his contacts book that's going to get players in I guess the suggestion is those will be lone players from Premier League clubs and again I think there's a bit more thought put into Premier League young player development these days than Husey needs a left back Let's send him that kid we've got in our under-23s. So uh, remains to be seen. Recruitment, another thing that Bradford don't look to have done hugely well over the last few years. Uh, Walsall beat Hartlepool. This was uh, a tick in the box for Mike Flynn's Walsall after being absolutely shellacked in midweek against Swindon, falling apart completely there. Um, But back to winning ways against Hartlepool. And I think most pleasingly for fans, a really good front foot performance a team with attacking intent set up in a way that I mean I was going to say made sense I think it, it made sense when you saw it play out I'm not sure it necessarily made that much sense on paper because you know he is giving Osadebe a chance at right wing back and Tyree Shade at left wing back and I dare say that those players wouldn't consider them to be their natural positions but Uh, It certainly worked here. Comfortably the better side and a a good win for Walsall. Um, Pleasing for their fans, no doubt. Now, at the bottom. Wow, George. It's like musical managers, isn't it? Um, Walsall, 17th. They changed their manager in the last few weeks. Leighton Orient in 18th. They changed their manager last week. Kenny Jackett sacked. No one appointed yet. Stevenage. They changed their manager, didn't they, a couple of months ago. Paul Tisdale. But form has been terrible in the last few weeks. Barrow. The only team down there who haven't made a managerial change, Mark Cooper, uh, still there from the start of the season, although currently serving an eight-match ban. Colchester United, they made a change, got a couple of wins, now winless in five. Carlisle United, they were the team in the most miserable form until they flipped Keith Millen for club legend Paul Simpson and promptly won away at Leighton Orient. And then in the bottom two, Oldham have slipped back in after a draw um, still a, a half-decent result at Colchester United, but they'll be disappointed not to carry on the She's momentum. They obviously made a change and are certainly loving the fact that uh, that they did so. And then Scunny at the bottom, they're eight points from safety. They have played more games than anyone down there. If anyone is, is done, it does feel like Scunny are done. But outside of that, it's ridiculous, mate. From Orient in 18th to Oldham in 23rd, you're looking at 0.09 points per game, separating six teams. Now, it might be that saying that out loud is boring and nerdy and, and doesn't have the effect that I want it to have. But that is an astonishingly small amount between six teams and one relegation spot that no one wants. What were the significant results this weekend? I think
1: the most significant was was Carlisle's win at Leighton Orient. Um, this was the day that Leighton Orient despite their positive goal difference, um, they are in this mess. There's no doubt about it now. You know, they are they are in you know, three points ahead of Oldham, uh, having gone through this just unbelievable uh, poor run of form. If you'd told us when we were watching that spin in the game they were going to end up where they are, it would have been impossible to believe. But this is all about Carlisle, who, unlike Leighton Orient, moved quickly to appoint a new manager, having sacked um, the current one, Keith Millen, moving on. And it's Paul Simpson. It is... Almost their equivalent of of Oldham Sheridan. This is a guy who um, took over Carlisle when they were at the bottom of League Two. Uh, was there when they were relegated into the into the non-league? Probably the biggest club at the time to get relegated into the non-league. We've seen a few since then, um, and led them to back-to-back promotions straight into League One. A local boy, someone you know. We talk about Sheridan getting the club. Simpson gets the club. He's their king. He's the local hero. He is their messiah at the moment and immediately he comes in and gets a 1-0 win. 700 Carlisle fans made that trip off the back of countless consecutive defeats. Uh, it's an amazing story and it feels like it's definitely galvanised the club. It looks like they've looked at Oldham and said, yeah, we'll have some of that. Uh, and in Simpson, you know, a guy who since then, you know, he, hasn't, he didn't do a great job at... A couple of after a couple afterwards, but he was in charge of the England under twenty side um a few years ago. You know, he's got serious coaching pedigree here. I think he seemed unattainable to um to some Carlisle fans, but they've got him now and uh and it definitely gives them a, a chance
0: and yesterday's is, is the first step. What's quite weird is that every one of these clubs that has changed managers has had an immediate bounce and I might be only talking two games, but having turned around poor form, picked up a couple of wins, a bit more optimism. But looking at the group as a whole, only Oldham, you'd say, have sustained it under Shezza. And that's been... How many games has that been now? Probably eight or nine? So that's pretty significant, you'd say, if you're looking to be predictive and looking forward at what might happen between now and the end of the season. But Colu under Wayne Brown seem to have regressed to what they were under Hayden Mullins. Uh, Scunthorpe, obviously, under Keith Hill... I thought he was doing quite a good job to start with but that has not been reflected in results Stevenage I'm hugely concerned about based on their performance levels um, it's it's a bit of a weird one isn't it? it it feels to me like there might be more changes made with like five games to go yeah. where teams are seeing okay there's something psychological yeah. here we can get a tiny bounce yeah, yeah. It, it, it's it's like how how late do you leave it to make a change to get that little bump yeah. because I mean, it is like musical managers at the moment. And for me, they're all so bad that it's hard to know who will take that final spot. Right now, I'm most concerned about Stevenage, personally. But it's a bit like a game of musical chairs. And when the music stops, who's going to be in 23rd spot? I don't know. If you had to pick one now, just so we got it on record, I'm saying Stevenage go down in 23rd. Because I'm not sure they will twist until it's too late. And I, and I don't believe in Paul Tisdale right now getting a hold of that team.
1: I think it will be Colchester.
0: What do you guys think? Tweet us at NTT20pod. There's so many different parts of the three EFL leagues right now that clearly we have no idea about, but we're so excited for the final portion of the season. This is why we do, and I mean all of us do, the first six, seven months of the season because the last two or three are magnificent. We're going to be here throughout Mondays and Thursdays on Not The Top 20 Pod and live in the flesh at the Leicester Square Theatre on May the 19th at 7pm. You can buy a ticket if you'd like to be a part of the greatest night out in EFL podcasting history ever. Ever, says George. Uh, Do join us, please. It'd be so great to see you there. Um, We'll certainly be making a night of it. Um, We will be making... Uh, well, a small holiday now. So we hope everyone has a good start to their week. Uh, If anyone happens to be at PGA Catalonia, please come and say hi. Um, It's been a treat to talk you through some of the weekend action and look at some of the interesting segments of the three EFL leagues. Thank you to our sponsors, Betfair, for their support of this podcast. We'll be back again on Thursday to preview the EFL weekend.